Hey, Spotlighters, Mike Cam here, the coolest guy in title insurance and your host of the Morning Spotlight Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. We have a great guest that I know is going to absolutely blow you away. If you like what you hear, please smash that subscribe button and leave us a review. And remember, when it's time for you to purchase title insurance, there's only one guy you should be calling, and that's me. Check the show notes for my email address. And let's get this train rolling and start the show right now. Welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cam, coming to you, as always, from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. I'm going to give a quick bio on the guest that we have today. Really excited about this guest that we have. Uh, he's an ex-NFL athlete and captain, mental, physical, and sexual abuse survivor and survivor advocate, a TEDx speaker, an entrepreneur, a consultant, a problem solver, and a connector. And I just pulled that off his LinkedIn bio, but I really want to get into the story of who he is. He is Reggie Walker. Reggie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm glad to be on. Absolutely. I'm really excited to have you on. And like I said, I mean, normally what I do for some of these episodes is I go through a pretty, you know, detailed bio of the of the guests that I have on. But the more that I was researching you over the last couple of weeks, I mean, obviously we had our initial phone call, but the more research I did and seeing some other articles that were done on you and some other videos that you've done in the past, I just think that the story is so much more uh, better told by you than me just reading something off a screen. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more about maybe like, let's just start from the beginning, kind of where you grew up, kind of what the, what the childhood was like, and then we'll kind of build from there. Cool. Yeah, so I grew up as a military brat. Um, I had the luxury of being in uh, environments where I was a minority, where I was a part of the majority, where we had money, where we didn't have money. Um, I used to say my parents were two loving parents and uh, my brothers and sisters were all great. Um, but around the time from, I would say about from age four to about 12, that's when I experienced, uh, sexual abuse. And then growing up, uh, from a friend, a family friend and you, and then I also went through mental and physical abuse as well. Um, the, the mental abuse was definitely something that I went through throughout a great portion of time, uh, in football. Uh, a lot of times in a football environment. Um, it, but it, it's, it, it was really, all the abuse was really something that I felt it, it, it really made me after a while um, because I've understood that when it comes to just succeeding in general, you need to have resilience and resilience it's built. It's not something that you just come into the world having. You, you have to have it built over time and from my childhood, I felt as if that's when that seed kind of got planted that I really wanted to, I, I really started getting curious about what I was, who I was, what my problems were, and uh, wanting to really see what I actually could do in the world. That I would say that's when it started. Right. 
Okay, cool. So let's talk about just because I think that it's important to kind of lay the foundation before we kind of get into some like the extra football stuff towards the end and then your story now. Um, so take us through like the, the types of abuse. I mean, I know that that's probably like a raw question for you to answer, but I know you've talked about it before. So I know that you're an advocate for it. Um, so take take us through like what was what were some of those things that you were experiencing um, early on in your life? Oh, man, just just not really feeling like you're anything. Um, I had no confidence. I, you know, my, my parents did the best that they could do, but I felt like really knowing it, seeing the situation now objectively, I felt as if I was always searching for this person that just was never there. This person that knew how I really felt and what was going on inside of me and, kind of suffered, went through the same things and knew how to, and knew how to uh, communicate to me in a way in which I could listen. Um, And that was a huge, huge thing that really, it really made me feel as if I was just kind of by myself, that I didn't really have anyone. And uh, a lot of anger really built up because of that. And then with the sexual abuse, it was something that, um, really came from I felt it was a, it really understanding what it was at this time it was somebody that they had got abused and then they abused us so it's not really a black and white scenario where you know I can really point the finger at my abuser and be like oh this is all your fault and you're such a terrible person because at this point you know what it is it's just it was just a really unfortunate situation at the time I would, yeah, I would say definitely unfortunate, but so you talk about like this anger that was built up and some of the other interviews that I've seen you do in the past, you talk about how that ultimately was kind of what led you to football, or maybe you found football and then talk to us about, you know, the relationship between that anger and football. Anger was my energy source. It was how I did everything. I, um, I was a, pretty much in that case out there um, because, you know, how I am now, you know, how we're talking to one another and, you know, I know I'm a calm guy, but on the football field, I was the exact opposite person. I was not composed, not, uh, not together at all. <laughs> I just, that was my place where I could just unleash how I really felt about everything out onto another person. And you literally get commended for it. And it was something that I was very good at because I had so much built up anger and it ended up turning into something that after a while really started to break, take its toll. Did you ever see the, um, the person, the anger spilling over from football into your personal life? Or was that something that you were able to kind of keep separate? I kept it separate from other people but i did not keep it separate from myself i took a lot out on myself i was a very uh what's the best way of putting it i felt as if i was nothing and i treated myself as if i was nothing and um other people i felt as if you know i gave everything to everyone else still and i tried to basically give everything to other people because it was one of those things where I just felt when you're hurt, when you're really hurting, 
you and you know how it feels. I, I feel as if something in you just wants to make sure that other people around you aren't feeling the same thing as you. This doesn't rub off on them. And I was really hardened into doing that. And that's how I would handle things. Um, when I retired, I felt as if some of my issues um, started popping up um, in my personal life. But for the most part, I've always kept it under control um, with other people. Gotcha. So you mentioned like the, that, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're nothing, but isn't it like interesting? I mean, I, I mean, I find it interesting. So, so when we met, so with Trevor Anderson, mutual friend of ours, friend of the show, been on the guest on the show a couple of times, um, you know, like when he, he was like, oh, I'm going to introduce you to Reggie Walker. And I was like, oh, cool. Like another, you know, an NFL guy, like this is going to be a cool story. We're going to talk about the NFL and like life after the NFL. And then when we talked and then I actually started doing research on Reggie Walker, I was like, oh man, like this is going to be a way different interview than maybe I walked into like what I thought I was going to walk into. Um, but like, mm -hmm. it just, it's, to me, I find it interesting that it was something that was driving you and kind of got you to basically like the pinnacle of a football career. Like you made it to the NFL. Um, but at the same time, it just left like this huge void in your actual life. Um, and I think that it's easy for people to kind of look at that and be like, well, he's got it all. He's, you know, he plays professional sports. He's got it all. He's got it all, all together. Um, but that certainly wasn't the case, obviously. Right. Yeah, it's a common misconception that once you have a bunch of money that everything is fine. And if you have a bunch of money, everything else doesn't matter. And it's unfortunate that society that we're kind of taught from a young age, you make a bunch of money, you have, you know, two and a half kids. And you, do, you do what everyone else dreams is the American dream that everything is fine. And I literally have that and it's not fine. And then if you really look at most people who are doing the same thing, you know, they're saying the same thing I'm saying. It doesn't fulfill you. It doesn't make you content. And the fact of the matter was I made it so far in football and accomplished all the things I accomplished because I was constantly trying to prove to myself that I was something. You know, and there was a hell of a lot of energy behind that thought. Of, man, I got to make because I got the plus the other thing was, too, I felt just like everyone else. Once you get to this point, then you're going to be happy. And I got to that point, And when I got to that point, the happiness didn't show up. And it just kind of like, like sunk me. Because at this point, I'm like, damn, I broke I basically broke myself to get to this point and then I'm still not happy like there's no there's no way I can even touch it right. so it took me a long time to really actually understand how to be happy what happiness is what contentment is I had a lot of misconceptions just like most people about what actually matters in life and what right. doesn't yeah yeah. So, I mean, I just find that interesting because like, I don't know if I mentioned to this to you, like I played college baseball, I coached college baseball, the whole thing. Um, and like, after I was done coaching and started doing other things, I was like similar. I mean, obviously I never made it to like the level that you were at, but it was a similar experience because I, then I had, it was like something that was uh, kind of like what I just defined myself. Like I play baseball or I coach baseball. And, like that was pretty much it. And never was like, introspective, I guess, and looking at myself and saying like, you know, this is what I can bring to the table just because I always thought like that was what was my cam. It was just baseball. And like, that was it. Um, and then it took a while, like after the baseball stuff to kind of like 
shift that focus and kind of get myself back on track with what actually matters and what I can actually bring to the table. So I think that there's some, you know, that reson that message resonates with me for sure. Um, so the one thing that I want to, uh, one of the things, I mean, I want to talk about a lot of stuff, but, um, so we, we, you're going through this football career. Um, you go to, you, you get, uh, uh, Kansas state, you go to Kansas state to play football. Uh, talk to me about like that experience, like playing football. Cause I, I actually, before we got right before we got on here, I was on YouTube and found the Reggie Walker, um, like highlight reel or whatever of you oh, yeah. blowing up plays on defense, which I thought was really cool. Um, so like, I, I was curious to also know, like as you're progressing through your football career was like the anger increasing because you just had really no way of releasing it um, in like a, in a, uh, a healthy way, I guess, rather than just like kicking the shit out of somebody. <laughs> I would say, yeah, I would say it did. Um, and then I felt as if, the vessel that was containing all this anger was breaking down as well, because when I got to Kansas State, um, I gave it probably a semester of not doing crazy stuff. And then that second semester, oh, I just full blown, like lost it. Like I, I partied crazy, like crazy. Oh, man, I was literally the like wild guy. And I, I felt as if there, I loved the feeling of hanging on, like, just picture hanging on a cliff by your pinky toe on your weak foot. That I loved that feeling of yeah. just danger. And um, I loved it. And that's typically what I found out is typically people who have experienced the same amount of trauma as me or trauma that is, it's the same for them too. So I'm definitely in the majority when it comes to that, but I, I partied, I partied, I did a bunch of crazy stuff. I just didn't, um, I, I, I kind of lost it for a minute there. Um, but I wouldn't say in all, it was like a bad thing. It was more like, I was exploring other ways of venting and like getting it out other than football. And, you know, because the situation at Kansas state to be completely blunt about it was awful. I like, I love the university, love the university, um, love the people there. Great family atmosphere. Phenomenal. I love it. I would never take back my uh, college years. But the football side of it was absolutely awful after my first year. It was terrible. We had basically somebody who was an authoritarian, a dictator, and he just did not care about the players, did not care about their well-being, did not care about anything else besides himself. Um, and he did irreparable damage to multiple kids and you had a whole team full of depressed guys this everyone just hating life hating everything they're doing and then how we would you know cope from it is we go out and party you know we, we sucked on the field we were getting blew out and we knew we're why we were getting blew out wasn't because we didn't have talent and it really had an effect on a lot of people especially me because i was the leader and, you know, I care about everybody and I wanted everyone to be well. And you just see things falling out and people are failing out. People are transferring out. People are dropping out. You know, I, 
I went into college with 27 recruits, I'm pretty sure. And I only finished with like four. Wow. Everyone else was gone. Yeah. Because the situation was so bad. And then the same guy went down to Howard and did the same thing. And I couldn't even believe he got another job after what he did to us because it was definitely not legal. A lot of stuff that he was doing, but and it had it had a big time effect on me. Um, it when I got to the league, I felt like that me trying to prove that I wasn't this guy um, that they kept telling me I was in college. I took that into the NFL, and it was actually one of those things that made me have as long of a career as I had because I was trying to prove to all these people that really should not have mattered to me. Um, that I wasn't who they thought I was, and um, and that had and that did his damage on his own. But as far as college, besides the football part, oh, I loved it. I yeah. I, I miss it. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Don't, don't we all for sure? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, one of the things that I think was so interesting as you were going through that, and like you know, you're talking about you know, kind of the trauma that you went through as you were growing up, then getting to Kansas State and going through that those issues. Um, but this whole time, not the whole time, but, you know, at least from the college years, and then I know eventually you were a captain in the NFL, but, um, you, you have like this, this leadership and this, um, you know, you were like somebody that people actually like look to and respected. So I think that's such like a, like a interesting juxtaposition, right? You have like, you know, you're like the lowest that you could possibly feel like you're feeling nothing. You're basically trying to do like these extreme things to try to like maybe feel something in your personal life. But at the same time, you're somebody that your teammates will actually go to because they need whatever they need help. They need someone to look up to So um, was that a difficult thing for you to kind of, I know you mentioned it before that you were just somebody that always likes to give, but eventually you got to like refill that piggy bank, right? You can't just keep giving and giving and giving because eventually the piggy bank is going to be empty. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. <laughs> I was it took it took a couple of years, but it did get to that point where eventually I had nothing left to give. Um, and that's was one of the things that kind of led to my retirement because I was, to put it bluntly, bursting out the seams that sixth, seventh year, um, I was losing it. Like psychologically, I was physically, like my body was terrible. Um, mentally, I was just so drained from never refilling my cup in the manner in which I should have. So, yeah, which led me to going to, a, to, to taking two separate stints at a treatment center, which I absolutely had to go to, which, you know, because I did the therapy thing and that worked for a little bit. But when you're dealing with, at the time, 27 years worth of issues that you've never really dealt with properly all the time, you know, it compounds. And that's, it was just too much to deal with that once. So I was glad I went to the treatment center. And it's, that's why I even speak on it, because some people in my cases, especially a lot of men who have like literally gone through the same thing as me, it's, um, a treatment center is the best option. It really is. I, you know, because it, because this reminds me of, you know, when I, when I was in the league, I would say around my fifth or sixth year, I got um, more comfortable with saying what happened to me. And I would tell my teammates about it. And the thing that really shocked me was I would tell my teammates, yeah, I got abused. And yeah, I had this happen. I had this happen. And every, it was, 
pretty much nine out of 10 times. Yeah. Same thing happened to me. Yeah. And it just makes me think, you know, why is this the case that, man, you have guys living with some really deep issues that aren't talking about things. And then it's crazy to me too, that people wonder why these guys do some of the things that they do after the fact, you know, cause I told you how I was like, I was a, like, I love that feeling of hanging onto like pinky toe on a cliff. Like that was my thing. I tried to put myself in as many positions as possible to be, to have that feeling. And you were, I'm literally playing the most dangerous sport on earth. And, and I'm loving it, like every bit of it, and, uh, of playing the game, that is. And I'm here surrounded by guys who are literally doing the same thing I'm doing. Yeah. And it's, it, it was scary to me. It was scary to me not to think about it that, you know, and it's just, there's so many other guys, even outside of the sports environment, that are doing other things. You know, I was just glad that I had football as a as an avenue to go down to vent you know there's a lot of people that don't have that and they're sitting in prison right now they're dead they're doing drugs you know um whatever and it's a problem in our society as a whole because abuse you know it's like one in six men have been abused and when it comes have been sexually abused but when you're talking about abuse period it's most of our society as a whole right and so you know, I, but I really glad, I'm really glad I went to the treatment center because I needed to get all of it out. Just, you know, I, and I would always sit there and be a strong advocate for some people like, dude, sometimes therapy isn't enough. Sometimes you gotta go. Yeah. 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 Right. So the one thing I think is interesting too, is like, you're talking about like, you know, guys that play in the NFL and, and all that. And, you know, like how the, a lot of men go through the same thing, but they don't talk about it that much because it's like, it's a guy thing, you know, especially when you're at like that level, it's like, those are like alpha dogs, you know, like those are guys that like, you know, they don't, they don't show weakness because that could be, you know, perceived as like, you know, maybe they're not as on the same level as everybody else in the league or whatever it is. Um, so was that difficult for you to kind of like start talking about your story um, and did you like feel maybe judged from, from that community or was it uh, more of like, Oh, Hey, Reggie's actually like, you know, maybe like a standard bearer for what we're trying to make some changes with. Well, I've always had a, a rebellious attitude, I guess, when it's come down to things. And, you know, I guess when you're, when you don't think you're shit for a long time and you, you're in an environment a lot where a lot of people have a lot of misconceptions about you because they really haven't spent the time to actually get to know you. You really stop caring about their opinions of you. And at the same time, I feel as if I'm shit, but I also do not care what other people are saying about me at the same time. Like I just, in just this whole mentality of just not really caring. So when it's come down to like me saying some of the things that I've said, to put it bluntly, like I didn't give a shit. Yeah. I, I, I knew that I wanted people to understand me. I wanted some of these misconceptions gone. I understood that, you know, I felt at the time that I was in the minority of people who have gone through these things. Now I know I'm in the majority and I just didn't care. I just didn't care. I think I wanted people to understand me so badly at the time 
that I didn't that I wasn't I didn't care about saying these things. Plus, it didn't have the same effect it had on me before. Before right. it was, you know, it felt like this secret that I was going to take to the grave and no one was going to know about me, know this about me. But the more I said it, the less power it had over me to the point where now I can talk about it and it does nothing to me. It doesn't. Right. I don't, my heart doesn't flutter, stomach doesn't feel queasy, like nothing. I don't feel yeah. anything about it. Gotcha. All right. So then <laughs> uh, let's, let's kind of take it from, you know, so you, you're, you're, uh, was a six, seven year career in the NFL. Um, then you go through these treatment center, uh, you know, things. And then at what point do you start? Like, do you think you started after the treatment center, like the road to recovery? Like at what point do you feel like you're actually putting some stuff back? Like you said, filling up the cup. Like when did you actually start filling up the cup? And what were some of those things that, you know, helped you kind of get, or maybe not all the way there, but at least the process of moving down that, down that path. I would say when I retired the first, when I, when I retired and I understood why I was retiring because I was done. I didn't like football anymore. I understood that psychologically I was not in a good place. And I understood that, that I needed to actually give the care to myself that was needed for years. When I, 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 that's when I knew, but as far as filling my cup up, it took years, years to do that because I hadn't done it properly before. Yeah. It took years to actually fill my cup back up. It, you know, going to a treatment center the first time and you're sitting there and your daughter's calling you because it's her birthday and you're there at the treatment center and she's hitting you with the man, daddy, I wish you were here. I wish you were here. And you're sitting in a treatment center and you can't, you're missing your birthday. Like it just crushed me. Yeah. And, you know, and then I remember before I went to the treatment center the second time, you know, you have your daughter sit there and tell you like, man, I don't, I don't feel comfortable around you. Like you need to go get some help. Something's going on. You just sink she again. And then I go to the treatment center and then it, it, it took a, the path to really recovering from things took a long time. Um, but it really, to keep it, you know, the, I would say that really when my daughter told me that she didn't feel comfortable around me and she couldn't look at me in the face and we had just had one of the best days, I thought, of like our entire relationship together, like the next day she tells me this, it that's when I really fully committed to changing, yeah. changing and getting everything out and really put my head down. I was just like, this is getting out of me now. Like is, I'm fully changing from this. Like I see all of the problems because it took a while to see how everything penetrates all aspects of your life. And it is, it takes a while. And, you know, I want to bash myself for some of the things that I did and some of the things I said and some of the stuff I've been through. But at the same time, like, I didn't know, you know, for a fact, you don't know how deeply trauma can seep into everything that you're doing. And that's why I even speak about it in the first place, because it's not, this isn't a type of situation where, okay, you, you went through something, you go and talk to someone a couple of times, it's done. No, you got to maintain yourself. And the maintaining yourself part 
is that's the hard part. It's not committing to like, oh, I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to smoke or I'm not going to do wild shit or I'm not going to do this. One time, like it's the continuous effort that's the problem. And that's when I finally got on the train of like the continuous effort. Yeah. So um, what I mean, I'm I'm hopeful the relationship has improved. Right. So now I'm sure oh, we're great now. Yeah, oh, she right. loves, yeah, they love. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, I'm great. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but, uh, was there like, did you ever, I mean, maybe this is, um, you know, kind of like a dumb question, dumb question, but did you ever at any point think that like, um, were the people that you were trying to lean on over the course of like maybe this transition phase, like, cause, or was it something more where you, um, kind of got maybe burned by people that were supposed to be kind of people that were supposed to look out for your best interest. And you kind of kept it all inside and didn't really like look to others for help. Well, first of all, there was definitely people, you know, when it comes to the education around helping people who have experienced trauma and what to do and what not to do, most people are very ignorant on things you should say and things you shouldn't say. And a lot of people who were trying to help me said a lot of things that definitely did not help me that further cemented me in the stuff, you yeah, know? Yeah, right. And it was... You know, I look at it, you know, more as I knew their intentions were good, but it just didn't help. And yeah, you know, I don't I don't bash them for it. I don't you know, I'm not holding any grudges because I, I, I knew that internally they were trying to help me. But yeah, a lot of people that were around me said stuff and did things that had profoundly negative effects on me um when you're in such a vulnerable time really digging and rooting out a lot of the issues you have so i don't i don't bash it but yeah you when you're going through this stuff you you have to have a support system that understands and the people who understand you got to cling to them yeah you know if they get it cling to them (laughs) if they don't run from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is hard to do sometimes, but you know, I agree. You definitely have to definitely have to do that. Was, um, I liked maybe trying to focus on like the, was there a moment where you kind of saw maybe like, uh, was there a moment where you kind of felt like you were, uh, felt something different than maybe you had felt for an entire lifetime prior to that? Was there like, like, Oh, like maybe the therapy is like, working or the whatever it is was there a moment that you can kind of like pick out and be like wow this is weird like I, i've never felt this before but it feels good so i kind of want to keep going with it yeah hell yeah i can so i had um my daughter was just starting soccer um she i and up to this point in time i missed pretty much everything because i was playing football and you know it's basically a five to nine schedule (laughs) so yeah i i I missed everything and i was going through a bunch of therapy i was in a horrible spot just terrible spot mentally and emotionally especially and i go to this soccer game and i see my daughter she steals the ball from this girl jumps over this other one it seemed like it was out of a disney movie almost. right like slow motion jumping yeah over slow girl. motion like, yeah right <laughs> right yeah dramatic music. Like, 
Every, all the fans are jumping in slow motion, you know, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it was yeah. like that moment. And she, and then she goes and kicks the kicks it past the goalie and scores and turns and looks right at me like, like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I did that. And it just, like, it took everything in me to just not like, it, it was like, I felt like that was like, the moment where everything that I was doing, because up to that period of time, I felt like it was worthless going to treatment and worthless trying to get all this stuff rear out. But then when I saw her face and I felt just so proud and happy and it, it just got me. I just, it just made everything, the whole path worth it. And I realized that this, I got to continue to keep going so I can keep having moments like this. And when we left, I was still so I was hyped. I was hyped because I was just like, man, that's my kid. She's a she's a beast. But then I was also just so happy that I was there and I didn't like kill myself. I didn't do something wild that I was there and I couldn't even drive home. I was just pulled. I had to pull over the car and I was just like weeping on like the freeway. Right. Like in my kid, my family's all there. And then there's like, what's going on, dad? And I was just like, I'm just so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't even remember the last time I had just like, like this wasn't even just a normal cry. This was like, everything was coming out, man. Like years of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like that, that was definitely, the moment. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so odd. And it's just like, I mean, I could see it. I could see your daughter scoring that goal like in my head in that Disney slow motion action <laughs> like highlight reel type thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, so like, because I, I mean, I've had a bunch of different mental health advocates and we talked about some different mental health stuff on this show before. Um, it's not necessarily a mental health show, but I do think that it's really important because I've gone through my own stuff and I think everybody has to your point. Oh, for um, sure. But, and like, I think that it's just kind of like a never ending journey because I don't think that like, I think that people are that the people that say that they're happy all the time are full of shit. Um, no, you shouldn't be happy all the time. Right. Because no. you don't, you don't know like when something bad is going to happen. You don't know any, anything like that, but do you ever catch yourself maybe like falling back into, uh, you know, old Reggie, because it was something that you dealt with for 30 some odd years and you have to like kind of reset yourself and be like, Oh no, that's, that's old Reggie. Like I, I'm new Reggie now, you know? Oh man. I've done so much treatment and so much self introspection and gone through so much shit at this point that I have so many uh, mechanisms in place that there's like, I can't even touch that. I can't even touch it at this point. Yeah. Um, But the biggest reason is because I sat in my shit. And I went through that period of sitting in your shit for years and it's awful. Like I'm, I will say that first and foremost, it does not feel good. It is not like a movie or any of that shit tells you it sucks. Yeah. It feels terrible. It's painful. It's awful. But I sat in it for so long to the point where I got most of that out, like 90 seven percent of that stuff out to the point where now it's like if i have a negative thought or i have something pop up like i can handle it 
but and I don't have to go down going into the tank like no I like no I have a lot of coping strategies at this point I don't need to just go and drink or smoke or fight somebody or do some wild shit or no I just I can calm myself down like I am together but it's but it's the years of sitting with myself right that yeah I basically went into a cave for five years to be blunt about it like yeah I went in solely focused on just that. So, yeah, I, like I'm good. Like it, it would take so much for me to even, I, I don't even think I could just like touch it, you know, right. just like when you're a kid and you remember how you had like abs when you're a little kid. And then no, you become I was a, always a fat kid, not a oh, fat okay. kid, but well, I was like I a chubby, a chubby little kid. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had abs. It's like, but I, I don't school. relate. I don't relate to that part. <laughs> Well, I'm talking to the other people. Yeah, right. Everybody <laughs> like, else listening. <laughs> yeah. Like when you're like, man, and I, when I was like 12, bad apps, and then now you're a grown man and you're just like looking down in disappointment. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> it's like, I'm never going to touch those abs again. And, yeah. and I'm never going to touch like that, like level of just, just lies again. Yeah. Yes. Um, does, does this stuff help like talking about it like this? Because I think, I, I think it's really cool that you're able to look back at your life. And I, and I think that like you see celebrities and, and people that maybe like reached a pinnacle or reach a mountaintop. And then they have like this very uh, public fall from grace. And like some of them kind of just, you know, disregard the old self and don't talk about it. But then you have other people like, you know, that are able to actually like look back at it as like, you know, a third party observer, what they were going through. So does this like talking about it on like a, you know, a podcast like this or doing an interview, does that like help just kind of keep it like, you know, just keep that flowing, keep it out? Oh, yeah, it definitely helps because it's, it's, it's just like riding a bike. The first time you talk about it, it's awful. Second time you talk about it, it's awful. Third time, fourth time, fifth time. But then it gets easier each and every time. And now, like I talk about it, it's, it's it does nothing to me. Yeah. I, I tell complete strangers, you know, what happened to me, and I can go into great detail, and I feel nothing about it. Like, yeah. absolutely nothing. Not good, bad, nothing. It's my story. I know it's mine. I own up to it. And... Um, I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for every part of it. Um, and I'm grateful that I went through it and that I can speak about it and be an example to show people that, hey, if you're dealing with this stuff, yeah, you can actually get to the point where it does not bother you anymore. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't affect you at all. It, you can get to that point, but it sucks <laughs> to go through that process. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I get you. Um, so, so let's talk about like Reggie now, like what, what are some, what are you getting into? Like what, um, you know, what keeps you, what keeps you moving? Like, what are you, what are you doing for work? What are you doing for hobbies? Uh, what, what keeps filling that cup up? Well, so with the advocacy work that I do, um, I got, I kind of fell into something. I, with the advocacy stuff, I would have a bunch of people reach out to me for different things, um, to help either, uh, get their product or service through the right hands or connect them with the right person with my network or um, help them with promoting something. And I really started to understand that, man, this is something I can actually make into like a business because I was getting it so frequently. 
And then I understood really when it comes to networking, like I'm a networking beast. Like I know how to connect. I know how to, I know how to do all this stuff. And I know how to create opportunities. And with that, like, that's why I say on my profile, a connector, one of the things that I do is as simple as this, you know, I talk to person A and they need blank, blank, blank. Well, I know a guy and then I connect those two and then you can get paid for that. Right. You can, you know, and you can get and So I work with a lot of different people in various industries, uh, whether it's real estate, apps, pharmaceuticals, uh, CBD. <laughs> There's a lot of different things. And I am basically a glorified middleman. And I understood that being a middleman is very valuable to a lot of people. Yeah. So, um, no, I love it, but um, there's definitely going to be some projects that I'm going to be getting up and going. I know that we're going to build a comprehensive health platform as far as uh, mental health and physical health, because my business partner's name is David Carter. He's known as the 300 pound vegan. He has a really big following and he's done a lot of stuff in the health space. We're going to partner together to launch our platform and, you know, we're just going to try and help a shit ton of people and as well as some of the other partnerships we have that i can't talk about because uh, yeah right the things are going to launch but basically i'm a consultant i'm a connector and um the advocacy work that that fills my cup up these days awesome um and i was going to ask about goals but i think that you kind of just like laid those out but as far as like personal goals um, just like for you personally, do you uh, kind of like have things that you want to accomplish personally or do you kind of stay in the present moment and kind of focus on today rather than kind of getting caught up on, you know, future stuff? And what's that like? I do both. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do both, which is a constant balancing act. Like I I am I, aware of today and I try to keep myself in the moments, moment, my moment, but I, you know, I have a lot of personal goals. There's a lot of things I want to create. There's a lot of things I want to do. As far as personal goals, though, I would say one of the biggest ones at this time, shorter, shorter goal is definitely to get back in shape because, like I said, I am fat as hell. <laughs> and going up those two flights of stairs sucked. And uh, I feel like I've been slipping with working out lately because I've been getting bogged down with all the projects we got going on. But getting back in shape so I can be, you know, good and, you know, everyone like me more. <laughs> and my kids, my 11-year-old will stop making fun of me. So right. that yeah, would yeah. be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but as far as other goals, I, you know, I just want to make the world a better place for my kids and everyone else, the next generation under us. And I feel as if with a lot of the projects that I have up and going, I'm going to be able to do that. So, awesome. um yeah, I, I'm really excited to just be in that position to do that for sure. Definitely. All right, let's move the show into our closing segment. So uh, the Spotlighters, which I like to call the Morning Spotlight listeners, Spotlighters, um, they've listened to Mike Ham and Reggie talk, uh, Mike Ham, Reggie Walker talk for the last, I guess, like 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes. Um, so what is one thing that you want them to walk away from this episode with? Man, <laughs> the biggest thing, deal with your shit as early as you can and understand it will suck but in the but at the end you'll be glad you did it 
and you will do way less damage to everyone around you, including yourself, if you just deal with your stuff. 100%. Go talk to someone. Go do whatever is necessary. Just do it. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, great advice. Um, so if people want to consume more Reggie content, is there a place that they can go to get that? Like maybe see some of these talks? That oh, my LinkedIn. My LinkedIn. LinkedIn. If they, and yeah, and if they want to reach out to me, I, I usually answer back. LinkedIn is my favorite platform at this time to utilize on social media. Uh, I'm going to build, I, I, my website should be launching soon. And um, that's, but in the meantime, definitely just go to LinkedIn. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. LinkedIn's my favorite as well. But, uh, but we'll, way I'll, less toxic. Yeah. I don't have to deal with all the other crap. People are cool <laughs> because they know employers are on there. So, yeah, right. Like exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right. So I'll make sure that I put all of Reggie's, you know, links and stuff that, that he has um, in the show notes. So if you do want to connect with him and, and talk to him or learn more or whatever, uh, make sure you do that. Um, obviously, I'll put my contact information in the show notes, just like always, themorningspotlight.com or the email address, themorningspotlight at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to the show, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, Reggie, thanks again for doing this. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. This was great. I love being on. Of course, man. And everybody else, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. I want to tell you about Fat Brother Soap. You know, way back in the day, and I'm talking caveman days, humans used to bathe under roaring waterfalls under the clear blue sky. Now many of us are stuck in a tiny shower in an overcrowded city, and the guys over at Fat Brother Soap have had about enough. Carefully selected by the Fat Brother himself, these soaps contain all natural ingredients like sunflower, coconut, lemon, and more. Remember, it is never too late to leave boring, mediocre body washes that are filled with chemicals behind and get back in touch with your inner caveman. Go to fatbrothersoap.com to learn more and join the Fat Brother family. Hey everyone, Mike Cam here. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Just remember, every Tuesday morning, we'll have a real estate episode. And during the week, we could be talking about anything.